0: From the Transport Workers Union Air Division offices in Colleyville, Texas, it's the TWU Air Division podcast with Strategic Action Coordinator, Brian Parker. Join Brian as he discusses issues that affect the careers and lives of Air Division members. Take it away, Brian.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. Joining me today is TWU International Vice President, Gary Peterson. Welcome back, Gary.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me out again,
1: Brian. Okay, so since the last time we've talked, you've kind of moved positions. You were the TWU Air Division System Coordinator, and now you're the Air Division Systems Director. Talk a little bit about the uh, change, and uh, if you would, go ahead and elaborate a little bit about where we're at, you know, in the industry, and then you know, kind of go from there.
2: Yeah, so let's start with the industry. I mean, as far as the industry goes, you know, all of us know COVID's been. Uh, the number one impact on not only the industry but the uh, country you know it's ravaged the industry i mean there's no other way to you know say it we've had to go to the government a couple of times for payroll support protection loans and uh, and guarantees those were successful unfortunately there was a window of time october through january where we we had some members that were furloughed throughout the system thankfully they've all been recalled and the legislation backdated it to December of last year. So from October through December, you know, we had, we had members furloughed and, and dealing with unemployment. At this point, though, everybody's been recalled or is in the process of being recalled. Um, they're, they're being paid right now. The, the biggest question that comes into mind, obviously for, for those folks and everybody is what happens comes March 31st or when the payroll support times out again financially. And, uh, we're going to do whatever we can to fight to see if we can uh, continue to get legislation that supports us uh, and our members. And that happens up in Washington, D.C. And, you know, it's anybody's guess at this point what, uh, what the legislators are going to do. But clearly, between now and probably September, the industry is going to need support. And I'll just go into that a little bit on the industry side, the airline industry specifically. Just looking at the industry, it seems as though with the, the COVID vaccine and, and things, the trends, if everything stays timely. The industry seems to believe that beginning around sometime September, we'll start to see improvement in bookings, uh, you know, people traveling, and then into Thanksgiving and Christmas, provided again the vaccine's positive and everything's working well, we'll start to see those bookings increase again. So that should keep everybody back at work. Thankfully, Southwest didn't have any furloughs or reductions. They, They managed to find their way through that without doing anything negative, even though they threatened it against their members. American, unfortunately, did and some of the regional carriers we represent. They, they too had furloughs and there were recalls. Hawaiian had furloughs and there were recalls there. So industry-wide, hopefully, if everything goes according to at least what the plan seems to be, around September, the industry should start to not be profitable, but stabilize. Passenger bookings should start to increase, hopefully, through the holidays. That maintains you'll have the January kind of lull that comes back into play. And then next year, spring break kind of forward. It's really optimistic that people will want to get out, do things and and, you know, the industry will be back to doing well. It's going to take the, you know, the companies themselves time to recover from the the COVID, you know, bubble, so to speak that we lived in, but we've had these bubbles before. The airlines, you know, and the industry's cyclical, so it, hopefully with what it looks like that'll just be a cyclical event and uh, our, all of our guys will be back. To work across the board and, and all of the locals, and uh, we'll maintain them from this you know this point forward. That's that's the goal, at least for us.
1: And as we talk about COVID, obviously you're talking about the operational you know uh, uh, workers coming on and off the job, unfortunately through rifts and stuff like that. But it's certainly had an impact uh, with the health and well being of our members. We've unfortunately lost many members throughout the system, you know my local as well. We've lost several. You know, a lot of people may not know this, but you had COVID yourself and yeah, want to elaborate a little bit on how it hit you and, you know, and kind of did it change your perspective with things or anything like that?
2: It's fair. I don't have any issue with talking about it and I've been pretty outspoken on it. I'm, I'm not sure how I, I got sick with COVID. It doesn't make sense to me. And I think most people would say that, you know, you do everything you can to protect yourself. It's just, it's, it's a crazy situation where when it hits you, it hits you and everybody's a little different to your point, Brian, we've had, I think in the air division, about 1500 members affected that we know of. And it's definitely higher than that. It's what we know. And, um, you know, several deaths and that's, that's, that's the one thing none of us know is when, when you do get sick, how hard it's going to hit you. And and then are you going to make it through? And unfortunately, you know, we've had those losses, my own particular case. And, and a lot of folks that are close and, and work, we work with know for about 10 days. I mean, I was, I was in a, a bad place, so to speak, and and thankfully, you know, I'm lucky to be alive. At the end of the day, my view, and I think the um, the Air Division's view all along has been, we need to do everything to protect our members. You know, early on, we were buying masks, we were buying sanitizer for the hands, we were, you know, we were doing everything, gloves, we were doing everything to try and supplement the industry with what they weren't doing yet, or they weren't required. To, it's kind of subsided, and, and we still have some of that PPE available. We're distributing out to the locals. We have some smaller locals in the Air Division that may, aren't even air related that we sent stuff out to, and we shared a lot of it with Transit. But thankfully, that the, the vaccines are coming out. Hopefully, we'll start to see a downward trend, but this is no joke. I mean, and, and there are several officers and locals, members for sure, that have been affected, and, and it impacts everybody differently you know, for the folks that, that get the, you know, asymptomatic type stuff or kind of breeze through it. I'm here to tell you that uh, that's not always the case. And, and I count my blessings that I'm still alive today because there were times where I wasn't sure I was going to make it through.
1: Yeah. Well, it's good to have you back. And obviously, uh, you know, we're still concerned and doing everything we can for our members. There's a lot of members still struggling. Let's move on and talk about probably something you might not like to talk a lot about, but let's talk about Gary Peterson for a minute. You've been the president of, you know, several locals. Uh, you've been around the block, so to speak. You've helped us through some turbulent times. I mean, you know, you're not a one-man show. You've had a lot of help through the years, a lot of support. You know, do you think any of that plays well into your new position as director? And, you know, and talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I've been uh, TW rep for since back to the early 90s. Took a couple breaks along the way just to <laughs> breathe, I guess, would be the right statement. I moved uh, as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think my experience not only at American, but I've, I've developed and cultivated a lot of relationships across, you know, the other locals over the years and, and, you know, that's built out, especially, um, you know, there was a couple of years there where, you know, the mechanic and related group in fleet didn't necessarily see eye to eye. I was, I was part of the group that, you know, when we separated and, you know, we've gone through all these different transitions and I think one of the things that I I've learned, and at least I hope bringing forward, is I'm a big proponent of local autonomy. The locals need to run their business. We, we're here to support the business. My role as the director is to make sure that the locals have support, but we're not going to intervene in, in the locals' business. We're not going to get down into you know, the issues they have. And I think it's critical that we maintain what the Constitution says is our role. We let the locals maintain what the Constitution says is their role. And really provide that support, but not be afraid to have hard conversations with folks and and I'm one to do that with our staff as well as local presidents, or you know if we have to with the membership I'm going to level with them every way I can. I live by that conviction, and you know when it's all said and done that's that's I hope that's what the membership's looking for is you know it's not always going to be good news, but it's going to be news that people need to hear. but the one thing that I hope everybody understands coming out of the air division um, and it's been this way for a while and we probably haven't talked about it enough is the TW is built around local autonomy and we're going to let our locals run their business. And we expect them to lo- you know, run their business as far as the local executive board presidents. And that's how the constitution's built.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. you you've changed positions. Now you're the director. What are some of the challenges here that you think in your new role you're going to face?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and I'm just going to start with the biggest challenge I see and, and it, it crosses all um, unions, not just our air division, but for the air division specifically our health and safety issues with our members. There are a ton of health and safety issues and we've got to find a way to to sync together and make sure we're facing those collectively and then taking those issues either to if it's a carrier or a company or if we need help in Washington, DC. And then going back to COVID, I mean just, you know, there's been some some issues or some rulings that came out of OSHA that just don't make sense in the past and, and I know we're involved in Push an OSHA to protect our members when it comes to COVID. But we got cabin air issues. We got constant safety issues that if there's an issue in one city that we're dealing with uh, as far as the air division, it's probably somewhere else. And we need to be, we need to find a better way to communicate that. So one of my goals, and I've already had conversations with several of the local presidents about this, is to reconstitute what was our safety committees, not the way they were maybe designed before but have the ground, meaning the Air Division ground folks, talking to one another about the safety issues they're having. We have folks doing that today. I think they're doing a great job. But they're not interconnected outside of a particular carrier. We've got to reach out to the other carriers or the other companies that we represent and make sure we're communicating with them as well. So we're, we're still siloed. I and mean, then when we get into the, the, you know, the flight side, the flight attendant side of this, really bring the flight attendant locals together to talk about their safety issues. We all know there's cabin air issues that are out there. We've got to streamline how we approach this and attack it as a union, as one entity, not separate locals. So bringing the folks together, figuring out a better plan on how to formulate that, and then going with the other unions forward into, into the, the legislative branches or wherever we need to go as far as companies and taking a singular position, not being you know three or four different agendas. With three or four different objectives, we need to get back to one objective, one union.
1: Anything else?
2: Yeah, I mean, some of the other challenges. Obviously, we ratified some really great agreements at American, and and those are by far, you know, the best in the industry across the board. But and we've also ratified UPS and several other contracts since COVID hit. We've we've been struggling because the you know the airlines or the companies don't really want to come to the table with what what the members are expecting, and so we're finding ways to to create contracts that our members can ratify that is a challenge going you know right now just because of the cycle but we're not going to stand down on these contracts we're going to take positions that our members deserve and if it takes longer to get to the contract that our members deserve then that's what we're going to do that's one of the key at least thoughts for me is long-term job security in the contracts making sure that our members know why they're in a union and and the protections they get from the contract what it provides them and you know American has some really good benchmarks. Southwest has some really good language in their contracts. And we've got we've to continue to improve that, not just sit on our laurels and say, well, we have this in there. That's good enough. We've got to improve contract to contract and take those steps forward. The other one that I, I really think is critical is improving communications. With COVID, the podcasts have slowed down. It's become more difficult. We've got to do some things differently. But one of my goals is obviously to improve the conversations not only internally, but you know, in the media. We we do a good job in the media, but again, our exposure in the media needs to be much more pronounced when we have an issue. And so that's a target area that I'm going to work on, or at least I'm, I hope to work on social media. We've got to get more active in how we approach social media. That's, that's the future of how people get information, or they're already using that. I shouldn't say it's future. It's where we are today. We do a good job. We've got to get better at it. So some of my focus will be around How do we improve communications out of the air division when it comes to social media, those types of things? And then lastly, you know, we've forged some solid relationships along the way with other unions as well as legislative folks in Washington, D.C., and we've got to figure out and, you know, how to improve those relationships we have with the other unions. Again, no different than safety. Get our singular agenda and then go together and fight on legislative issues as one collective group, not segregated into our our unions, so to speak. So those are some of the goals that I've I've kind of set for us. You know, we'll see how we do. There's always room for improvement. And really what it's going to take is at the end of the day, is member action. And that's one of the things we worked on from a campaign standpoint. We have got to get our members heavily active in campaigns and somehow find our way back to our our membership is our biggest voice. It's not a handful of people going and talking to somebody. It's it's actionable activities by the membership.
1: You know, it was good to hear you start off with safety, is one of the challenges, you know, and it's prominent obviously. So I was glad to hear you start that. But as you talk through, you mentioned uh, something that made me realize you didn't mention AMFA at all.
2: Yeah, so you know, AMFA is from a divisional standpoint, AMFA is an American issue with the maintenance group and, and again, I'll I'll just go back to where we are. They filed for a representation election that's handed, you know, being handled by the mediation board in Washington, D.C., and that'll that'll land where it lands. But let me just talk to a couple of things on that issue. And, and I think it's important that, you know, kind of the whole membership sees when somebody raids us one, you know, we were we were in the process of, of that union collective relationship working in Washington, D.C. on maintenance issues when this kind of started down the road. We were asked to, to work with them by their, their group, the AMFA leadership, and, and we chose to do that. IBT was asked, they, they agreed to do it with them and we asked to give them a chance. And they turned around and rated us. Some will say, well, it's a grassroots thing, it's coming from the membership, and, and here's the issue that I have is, if we're not doing something for the membership, then, then it's all about, again, back to communication. We need to hear what it is we're not doing so we can make those improvements the problem that I have is we just ratified this agreement we fought for collectively as a group and, you know, our locals are solid. We have great foundation. If there's this AMFA vote that if it does take place and, and the folks go, you know, we choose, members choose to go to, to AMFA, what's going to happen is we're going to start from zero. AMFA is, uh, you know, very small in, in size. They have no real stature when it comes to legislation. They, free ride, so to speak, on the back of what we just did in Washington with PSB. They weren't involved in any of that. The AFL-CIO unions were involved in that. They're not, you know, they, they, they while we were in, in, in trying to coordinate on how to push back on foreign maintenance and, and fighting for legislation to stop outsourcing, they were raiding the Teamsters, then they went on to a raid against us. And the fact is, you know, if, if they're successful in this, what happens to the industry? Southwest contract shows what their industry looks like. You know, it's very small, um, 2.75 mechanics, not aircraft mechanics, but maintenance and R members uh, per aircraft. That's what they they have in their book. And it's not any, anywhere near what we have. So, you know, size and scope, they have a, roughly the same size airline. I mean, you know, 100 airplanes difference, I guess, overall, about approximately. They have a singular fleet, but, you know, they have 2,500 members. We have, you know, plus 10,000. So uh, at the end of the day, I, some of the questions that come to mind is who's going to represent them in the contract and what's their experience level. You know, from a negotiator, There's new contract. So for us, it's a lot of people that, you know, negotiate this. We're ultimately, the, the, the philosophy is they're firing us. That's kind of how that would work. The second piece is there's no more local union, you know your local is gone. You're not part of the TW, so you're where are you going to be and what's that going to look like? The finances of the union stay with the TW. That's that's so we're starting over, you know, financially. And then I think the biggest component is, and I guess this is kind of the elephant in the room, and it's not to create any any type of um, disharmony amongst the group like we currently have, which I think is critical. Is by their structure ultimately you're going to have one big local and the rest are going to be carved back up into small locals so you're going to have one dominant group kind of controlling how everything happens and if that's the case we're going back 20 years to where we were and we'll all be in fighting again like we have been in the past we finally got to a place where at least my belief is we're all fighting in the same direction we may have disagreements on issues and we resolve those that's like a family you have disagreements but this concept of starting over, getting, a, you know, so to speak, a divorce, that the grass is greener or that over there is going to be better, doesn't always work out that way. And once you're there, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. So we'll, you know, I, didn't, I didn't mention it, not because it's, it's not important, it is important, but I think everybody has to look at the job we're doing, what we could be doing different or better, and the locals should be amplifying that back to me. And, and my goal would be to figure out how to do that. And if we're not doing that or we don't know about something, we can't improve. So it goes all, at least in my mind, it goes back to that communication piece that we got to improve upon.
1: I agree. Communication is critical. A lot of members know you as, uh, you know, representative or a president or whatever, representing stock clerks and mechanics at American. You know, that's, that's kind of where you came up and that's where people know you. But you were elected as international vice president. I believe it was at the last convention you know, how's your experience just since being a VP, how's that going to help you in your role as a director?
2: Well, um, that was an interesting one. So initially, you know, I, you're right. I came out of a, a maintenance and, and related local, uh, in stores. And, and let me just take a step back and say, you know, I, I started as a stock clerk, so that was easy enough for me to, to work with the stores clerks. And, and then obviously the maintenance group i have been a part of for, for many, many years, Coming over to the International was, uh, initially, that was, that was my assignment, was the American, just those two. And, and gradually, I moved into you know, having oversight for the dispatch group, which I didn't have a lot of experience at. A great group of people. They've taught me you know, what their contracts are, and, they're, and we represent several different dispatch groups amongst different companies. So every contract's a little different, so I've learned the nuances of that help negotiate UPS's contracting and, and, and get them uh, the UPS dispatchers what is probably by far the one of the best contracts I've ever negotiated in my life and those guys do a, a great job. I've had worked with the 556 flight attendants. I've worked with them in the past just on, you know, committee type stuff um, when I was a local president so I had a relationship with, you know, folks out of Chicago many many years ago and then obviously here in Dallas since I've been in Dallas for the last uh, 20 or so years. So for for me with 556 you know, I've had that relationship where I've been over to their, their local several times working with them on issues. And so I had already had some background with, with 556, not as much with 555. I'm learning my, my way around 555. But, um, you know, Andre is really the representative on American's fleet and on Southwest Fleet Service clerks. So I have the benefit of, of him being really over there. if Tom McDaniel assigned, you know, to the flight attendants myself, Jose Galarza, and, and you know, Tony McCoy, Shirley Duff. So we have, we have a real diverse staff that have assignments. What I, what I asked Mike to do when, when he was the director and that kind of came in with that Air Division Systems role was to allow me the opportunity to work with all the groups and try to bring connectivity together between the local presidents of the Air Division. Mike gave me that opportunity, and, and I can't thank him enough for that because what he did was give me the ability to really to see all the different things that were going on and work with all the staff on how to intertwine one another to learn each other's business. I I hope at least the local presidents would say that, you know, we have communication every two weeks. Right now we do a a COVID call every two weeks. That's that's our focus because that's a top priority. But besides that COVID call, I'm in contact with them along the way, as well as the staff. So everywhere that we have somebody, I've tried to learn a little bit about what they do. To help with what I, I saw as a kind of a siloed process at the air division, and we're going to try and break that mold where the staff back to local autonomy the staff should be able to assist with whatever's going on in a local because it should be an issue that's rising to the international, not a not a local type of issue that they should be handling under the autonomy part of the local. so what I would say to the question I guess a roundabout way to the answer is i've had the, the fortune of, of dealing with several different international um, leadership changes in my time that I've been a rep, a local rep. And I've seen some do some pretty good work, and I've seen some do some not-so-good work. Um, I like to learn from the folks that did the good work and and kind of push off from where others didn't. And what we're going to try and do is just be there for the locals as a resource. You know, again, back to just TW structure is different than any other union. And we got to get back to what the structure is, is that's that autonomy of the locals. That's not, they're a standalone and they can do whatever they want. And I'm not saying that, but that autonomy of of feeling comfortable and making decisions. Locals should be able to make decisions either individually or collectively based on design and the contract. And we've got to get back to that. Um, Americans, locals are structured different than Southwest locals. And, you know, neither one is right. Neither one's wrong. They're just structured differently. And how they handle their business is probably a little di- well. It is a little different. My my objective is to say, well, American does it this way, or Southwest does it whichever carrier it is. Fundamentally, are we using the best process that we can to represent the membership? Because that's really what this is about.
1: So, as a director, you're going to continue to oversee the uh, stores and maintenance agreements. Yeah,
2: I'm gonna. You know, obviously, that's that's my. Um, my, my baby, my bread and butter. I'm a mechanic at the end of the day. I'm never, never going to break away from that, so to speak. So the stores and, and maintenance group are, are my, you know, my baby to handle. That's where I'll have the oversight. I still maintain oversight over dispatch. But with Tony and, and Jose and the rest of the group to support me in those, those particular areas, I feel confident I can, as the director, still maintain that direct line. And in fact, before we started the podcast, I was just on the phone with, um, 591, talking through some of the issues that they're going through under the new agreement, making sure that I have that direct contact to them as well as 514 and you know 567 and uh, all the fleet locals. I do, Tony does a call, McCoy does a call every uh, week with the, fle- the uh, Title II, what was our Title II group, GSC and facilities maintenance. I get on that call as, as often as I can. I rely on him, but I like to be engaged in each one of these groups that we oversee but I'm not gonna micromanage it. That's why we have staff. You know, I have staff, I guess at this point. We work as a team, so we have staff on on assignment, but we all work together and we've got to get more in, in tune with that. So I invite all the staff to be on each one of these calls that we do just to listen in if they get the opportunity.
1: You and I have worked together for a long time now, you know, uh through the campaign, through a lot of the things that we've done. So I've seen you kind of evolve and you know, and, and I do agree that you seem to have a very good relationship with the locals. What does a typical day look like for you now as a director? <laughs> well, typical- kind of walk the members through what, you know, kind of some of the uh, things that you do. Yeah. Well,
2: I, I'll go back to where, where when I was a local president in, in one location, it was, um, it was a, I wouldn't say a normal schedule, but at least I kind of knew when the day was going to begin and when, when it was going to end. As the director, every day is a unique day. There, is, there are issues throughout. Not only the division, but you know, legislative-type issues that pop up along the way that I'm now involved in and trying to figure out you know, from a sequence standpoint who and how and where we're going to do things. We got you know, legal issues um, that are come up on the contract. We got questions on arbitration. There's just so many things that happen. I think the easy answer is um, the day starts on the East Coast about 6 in the morning. The calls start coming in, and I usually wind up on the West Coast somewhere around midnight. And in my day, and, and I'm good with that. I'm a, I'm a four to six hour sleeper. The guys that know me know that that's, that's my normal timeline. I fell off a little bit when I had COVID um, from my four to six hours and, and got eight hours sleep. And, and um, I'm already broke of that. So for, for everybody that knows me there, they, they know the operation. That was um, 591, local 591 was a nationwide local. And, and we have several of those in the division. And when you're the president of a nationwide local, it, it, it does start on the East coast and then on the West coast. So, um, I'm not the only one that was in those shoes. There's several that do that. And, and, um, you know, God bless them for the work they do. And even if you're just a single local, your day begins early and, and ends late. Anybody that does this job knows that there's no time clock involved. It's, it's what the members need and it's, it's what, you know, we do, but the day, the director's job, I would say this um, Mike had given me um, a lot of good experiences along the way as we we were transitioning and so you know he gave me the opportunity to see what it was going to be like before before the transition happened and uh, and i'm again I'm thankful for the opportunity to be in the position but this isn't about you know an individual it's about the team we have at the, at the division level it's about the locals and the executive boards and presidents we have and I, I'm going to go back to this time and time again as if we communicate amongst each other, you know, the, the idea that we're invincible is true. And I, I think, Brian, from your and my experience, I think we're just scratching the surface of how good we can be when we, we organize and we fight together. What we got to do is move it from, you know, a, a carrier or local level, so to speak, to an air division level. And then at some point, hopefully, we'll get back to where we're at, you know, a, a union across the board level where there is no difference between a local 100 fight and, a, and, a, and, so to speak, an American Airlines Air Division local fight. It's a TW fight and we're all going, we're all in fighting for the same things. When you really look at it, that's what, that's what this comes down to is, you know, if we don't fight for ourselves, nobody's going to fight for us. I don't mind coming up with concepts, ideas, working with, you know, you, you and I have done that before and several others. I'll support that 100%, but we've got to get the membership engaged. And, and really, I'll go back to the, the membership is what this is all about. And we're going, to get, we're going to get back to that.
1: Yeah, you know, you talk about the locals working together and in inclusion. You know my philosophy on that. We're, we're all in this together. I will say that we've had great leadership. You mentioned Mike Mazin a few times today, and uh, Mike's a hell of a guy. I mean, he's, he's a big-picture guy, and uh, he's also good at supporting. And he certainly gave me a lot of support, and I know he, he's giving you the same support. But I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn and talk about kind of a global issue right now, and it's just a, really a, a hot issue right now, is uh, diversity. You know, I mean, not, not just at the TW, but, I mean, in the world. I mean, how do you see your role in, you know, in dealing with diversity and you know, the people that we represent and the members that we represent?
2: Yeah. So, um, I want to come back to what you said about Mike in a second, but I want to talk about diversity first and then I'll come back to that. Cause I think it's, I need to make a critical point along the way. Diversity, look, diversity is a word we, we, and inclusion are probably things we shouldn't even have to talk about. That's, that's just my view. What we see is, you know, the best candidate for a position should get the position. Now we work in an environment where, you know, we do things by seniority, but, you know, it should never be about skin, religion, you know, those types of things. The characteristics of what, at least I think this union stands for, is about protecting one another. That's that's the characteristic. And, and none of that should come into play. Our staff here, I'll just touch on that, is probably, you know, as diverse as we could probably get it. I mean, we have every, you know, race, we have we have different culture, we have different uh, skin tone, you know, I don't want to get into the the stereotyping by any means, but but to me, we shouldn't be talking about inclusion and diversity at the t- at, In 2021, we should already be there, and we shouldn't be looking at those types of things. We should be looking at how do we improve one another's lives. That's what unionism is about. And you know, you go back in the history and you just look at, you know, some of the pictures on the wall that I know from TW historically. I mean, it's always been a diverse union based on every, every orientation, you know, color, uh, it, it doesn't matter. And I think that's the problem is we shouldn't even have to talk about that today, but we are. And, you know, my objective is I'm, 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 I have no interest in, in creating any type of, of program that, that is not diverse and isn't inclusive. So, you know, if that's where somebody's at, then they're probably not, you know, opportune for, for what we do. That's their business, but what we're going to keep doing is moving forward and supporting every one of our members along the way, and we should not be talking about this in, in the age we're in, but we are, and, and I appreciate you asking that question because it's a tough question, right? People are struggling with this, and, and even I struggle with the right words to, to say, and that's where I guess I don't look at any of those things as, as a problem or as an issue. I, I haven't, and I won't, so that's how I'll lead. The division and my expectation is everybody else that well let me say it and similar to what maybe i heard somebody else say if you're going to work in this, this office as part of this division that's an expectation that goes without saying that that we don't look at any of those things we, we represent the membership again back to the autonomy and the locals they need to facilitate that i'll certainly assist if they have some questions but the expectation is we don't look at anybody in any you know race, creed, color, religion as different than ourselves. That's, that's just a given, and it, we, that's an expectation, I guess, is the right answer.
1: Well, we wholeheartedly agree on that. Uh, you know, there's some things that you and I have disagreed on in the past, and, and we've had good dialogue and conversation, and uh, it's okay to disagree. Yeah. But there's a respectful way to do it, and uh, inclusion is big for me. I agree with you. It doesn't matter, you know, what race or whatever you are. Uh, you treat me with respect and you'll get the same in kind. I'm going to give you an opportunity because you had mentioned Mike and you said you had a key point you want to make about Mike Mays. Yeah.
2: And, and, and let me just say this about Mike. Mike is, is a byproduct of the, the transition that's been made at the leadership at the top under John, Alex, Jerome, Curtis, I mean, and John Phelps. The bottom line is, you know, it starts at the top, you know, and, and, and I've been fortunate enough to have a, a lot of relationships with the guys that, that over these last few years that I didn't have prior as a local president. What I do see is a leadership team that puts the membership first and puts themselves second and, and starts with John and, and kind of works its way down from there. But I'd be remiss in saying, you know, just mentioning Mike and not looking at the rest of the leadership team. And as well as the division leaders in the, in the conversations that we've been involved in, and when I say division leaders, not me as an air division director, but the conversations with the local leaders at other, you know, in, inside the divisions that have been, you know, elected to positions, we talk, we, we, we bounce ideas off each other. And so it isn't just the air division or the transit. I hate the division word, by the way, that's one thing if we could ever change, I'd love to change because that that draws out that we're separate. But transit, rail, us, you know, the air division, so to speak, we, we have a lot of interconnectivity that I, I didn't see before under past leadership. And, and that's one of the things that I have to commend our leadership on is back to inclusion. We're going to continue to, to be inclusive of one another as far as groups go, but leadership has shown that, you know, we're making those changes that are necessary that may not have been in place under past administrations and, or at least recent past administrations. What this TW looked like a few years ago is not what it looks like today. And I think as we move forward, we'll, we'll continue to see that change progress.
1: One more thing I want to talk about that you and I do agree on is when we talk about inclusion is young workers. We're not getting any younger. We're not going to do this work forever. And people under us need to, we need to lift people up and you've always done that for young workers. I have the same philosophy, you know, you don't own anything. You're renting it, maybe. You know, it's a borrowed time that you have to do what you're doing, bringing up new members. uh, You know, several times you've mentioned that you're an aircraft mechanic at the end of the day, and that's what you are. And that's good. You know, I commend you for that. That's respectable that you don't forget where you came from. Talk a little bit about what you'd like to see with the young workers moving forward.
2: Yeah, um, well, you hit it on the head. We and I'd like to know what we disagree upon because that'd be a good conversation. We
1: we won't talk about that today. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> no. but as
2: far as the young workers go, I think this is a critical uh, again a miss that it's not it's it's, it's union wide. It's not just um, in the air division. It's it's across you know unions in general. Is we the and union membership is down, and that that's a byproduct again. I believe of when new, new folks come in the door, we're not real good at educating them on what the union's about, why they're in a union, and the things that, you know, down the road, they're going to be fighting for. Because you're right, we're getting older and we won't be here. I got into my position when I was young because I felt like I had been done wrong through the contract. And I was fortunate enough, well, again, kind of your, your conversation with me is, While I disagreed with maybe somebody that was senior to me leading or was a union leader, I had a lot of respect for him because he would always give me paper and show me why, whatever it was I was arguing about when I was right, why I was right, why I was wrong. He educated me, he mentored me, and and that was Rich Kozatek. But I ran against the, 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 the slate that he was a part of when I first got into office in Chicago. And, but, but that doesn't take away anything from what I saw him do over the years. And that was bring me something and show me why. And I think that's a critical element to your point, Brian, is we've got to cultivate the next generation of leaders. Nobody should be afraid of losing their job. It's rented. Like you said, it's, we're elected to positions. That's all it is. And and if we're doing our job and we're mentoring somebody, that person we're mentoring is going to learn from us and they're going to want to, they're going to want to move up into the position when they're ready. I went into the position and I will just flat out tell you, I, I was naive to what I got myself into. And thankfully I had some people there after I did get into my first position. And, and this is the guys in Chicago that I'm still you know friends with. They had, to, they had to show me my way around. I, I thought I knew more than I did, but I, I, they had mentored me to a point, but the position I got elected to, I wasn't ready for. Again, thankfully, they, they mentored me and showed me that position because I got elected to it. Uh, And, and, and I think that's what we got to get back to, but we've got to get young workers engaged. And when I say young workers, I'm talking young members, there's this disconnect that I pay dues and I go home and, you know, they don't have a connection to the union hall, what the contract is. We've got to start educating them. And, and again, maybe that's back on my goal sheet is to come up with a, a system where we're doing that maybe more than necessarily just the locals alone. And maybe there's some accountability at the locals. If they aren't doing it, how we can help them begin to do it. And, and I don't want to take anything away from any locals because I don't know that infrastructure of our locals. But just from this conversation and us doing it, it's probably one of the things, and it's not probably, it's something I'll add to my objectives or goals because I think that's probably another one of the most critical things that I need to learn how to improve for us as an organization. Because remember, you know, as, as as this works, and, and you probably know this from when we first started, when you're senior heavy and people are negotiating contracts, they want it about them. When you're junior heavy, then they want it about them. We've got to find the balance to make sure everybody gets, you know, their fair share um, when we negotiate. But if we don't educate the young you know, workers, they won't know what it is they're actually looking at in that contract or what the language means or why it means something to them down the road. And so that active participation level, we've got to get them really, really engaged in what we do.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'm glad that is something we agree on. I'll kind of let you off the hook. Some of the things that we adamantly disagree on, we disagreed on what time this podcast would start, whether if it started on time or not. You were fashionably late, but to your credit, you were on a call and it was a representational call. It was very important. Other than that, like I say, I mean, through the years we've agreed and we've disagreed, but again, I'll I'll reiterate the point that we've been able to sit down and respectfully work through those. And uh, you always tend to see things my way. So (laughs) as long as we keep that up, we're good. Uh, Gary, before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about?
2: Uh, and not that i necessarily want to talk about but uh, you know i think what i would you know just hope the membership understands is that with any transition um there's things that i do need to learn and and obviously there's things that i can i can help with in the locals um, and outreach to the membership but again there's going to be some not staff necessarily changes but functioning within the staff that their expectations may change and and you know how they do things some of that stuff we've been talking about that but, and that's again Mike is in a lot of ways like me and in some ways he's not like me. And, and that was a great transition. So the staff and, and myself know what kind of some of the objectives are. We'll start bringing those down to the local level. One of the things that I do want to have our staff more, more involved with is active engagement with the membership, meeting, membership meetings or at least getting out into those areas where there's this mystery of who are these people and, and what do they do when we get back out of the COVID phase, to be more interactive with, with our members, not just executive boards and officers. And when I say interactive, I'm not talking uh, deep in the weeds on contract issues, just talking to them about everyday stuff and let them know who they are. And again, little differences maybe in the past is you know, walking through the airport, if you see somebody that's one of our members, just saying hello to them and introducing yourself. i you know, I, I've had the privilege of that for for the last several years, and and I can tell you, you know, unfortunately, when my mom was passing away, I was up in Chicago quite a bit. Not just members that I knew up in Chicago, but some of the envoy folks and some of the conversations that I had, they didn't know who I was, so to speak, from Adam. So, getting goals again back to goals, some of the communication is people don't see us. We're doing the podcast, so you don't necessarily see people. So, getting the website with some who's who and what is their background and and you know, what do they do? Some clarity around that. So those are some of the communications goals that I've, I've set out to, to achieve. They won't happen overnight. Again, if, if there's ideas that members have to the locals, get them to the locals, get them to us. The only way we can improve is if we, communications two way, right? So us hearing back from the membership on things that, that they'd like to see either if it's a local issue, their locals doing communicate with your locals, or if there's something that, you think the international should or shouldn't be involved in, talk to us about it and, and let us at least have a fair shot at talking through an issue. Because a lot of times it's just there's a disconnect. We don't even know, or the member doesn't know what's going on because we haven't done two way communication. And that, that to me is the most important thing that, that we've got to solve for. And, and we'll get there. It's just going to take time.
1: Well, I, you know, I appreciate you joining us. I will say that uh, I'm glad you're in the position. I'm very confident and that you'll do a good job. You know, you have my support. I did kind of chuckle when you were talking about being out on the shop floor and seeing members, you know, whether if you're moving around, I've been with president John Samuelson many times and that's, that's John. I mean, he's not going to pass a member that he sees, whether if he knows him or not, that he won't, doesn't walk up and ask him how their day is going. And, And, you know, you have to have a lot of respect for that, that, you know, people do not forget where they come from and uh, that goes a long way with me and it should go a long way with our members.
2: Yeah, there's there there's nobody on the on the leadership team or staff that should be walking past a member ever and not introducing themselves and just saying hi and checking in with them. That's that's what we're here for. Is the to support the membership. So if it, if it's done, you know, somebody misses somebody and passing their they're on their phone or something and they, they you know and they don't they don't necessarily do it, that's that's you know, that's one thing, but to, to just walk by somebody or ignore them is, is just not going to be tolerated. And and I you, you hit on John, follow your leader and you'll probably wind up in a good space. And, and uh, John kind of has done that for years. I've tried to do that for years. It's not something that I learned from him. I've done that. And uh, I think all of the leadership team is is willing to talk to folks whenever we get the opportunity. Unfortunately, COVID has thrown a wrench into into a lot of this communication face-to-face and you don't get as much out of things in the environment we're in with zoom calls and that it's just, it's good, but it's not to the level of what we need to be. And hopefully soon we'll be back to that. And, and we will be out talking to, to the, not just executive boards and officers, but members along the way, making sure that we're checking in and understanding what's going on. And, and I don't expect it all to be good news. You know, if it's all good news, then, then somebody's just blowing, you know, smoke and we want to hear truthful, what we need to do to to improve and, and make those improvements, talk to locals about things. If members have issues and, and they're not getting that out of the locals again, autonomy is to me, it's invaluable, but we, we shouldn't um, avoid conversations if members have complaints about stuff and just say, hey, this is what's going on or what we're hearing. You handle it, but this is what we're hearing and communicate that back to them and be honest with them.
1: Yeah, I agree. Honesty is the best policy. Yep. Gary, I had, uh, we had a good little chat today.
2: Well thanks for having. Again, um, we'll try to get this back on track. I'm, I'm going to hopefully Brian get the staff on with you to talk about what they do and, and start opening this, these lines of communications up. I do want to get local presidents involved in podcasting. And it's really important at least to me to understand all the diversity in the different areas of the division we have and not just in what locals do, but all the different activities we're involved in, from legislative to you know, everything else. I, I, I think it's critical. We start doing this more often again. And, and unfortunately with COVID, we've backed off, but trying to get this back on track, get this podcast going every couple of weeks.
1: Sounds good. I appreciate you joining me and I appreciate everybody listening today. Please take care of yourself. Be safe in this crazy, crazy world we're living in. Have a great day. Thanks, man.
0: For more information about the TWU Air Division, visit our website at twu.org forward slash divisions. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at airdivisionpodcast at twu.org. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of our Air Division podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, your favorite Android Podcatcher, or your RSS feed enabled browser. Air Division podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, podcast.twu.org. Music provided under license by pond5.com. TWU Air Division podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Engel.